Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are incomparable. There is no one like you. There is no one like you. And Lord, we, um, we say with the psalmist this morning, you are our righteous God. And we come to you seeking you, Lord, because we have no other place to go. Nobody knows us like you do. You know everything about us. And nobody loves us like you do. You love us no matter what. And we thank you, Lord, for that amazing love, your tireless, stubborn love that never lets go of us, a love that will not let us go. And we, we say with the psalmist in Psalm 4, Lord, you have filled our hearts with joy more than their wine when it abounds. And you make us sleep safely when we lie down. And oh, Lord, you alone are good. Help us this morning as we come to your table to taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good all the time. So good to worship with you today. And I hope you had a, a great New Year celebration. We got um, a chance to hold babies. The next generation in our family is coming along. And, and I was holding... Uh, Little girls uh, this weekend, little baby girls and, and uh, just twins on both sides, pretty amazing. But the highlight, I think, for me, and I'm still sort of uh, processing it, was um, I said to my brothers, um, our dad and mom are turning 75 this year, and I said, we should do something big for them. We should have a party, and so dad first in January, and mom is, uh, her birthday's Easter Sunday, uh, April 5th, and I said, we should just, we should have a party, you know, just to celebrate and, um, and so we did a couple nights ago, and it was so amazing, just um, not just to eat together, but uh, to think together about our relationship with our dad and uh, how God has used him to pour love into our lives. And um, one after another of his sons and then uh, grandkids stood up and called him blessed and gave thanks to God for him. And I think if I live to be 100, I won't forget that because it was just an amazing time uh, in our family. So thankful for that. And I was reminded as I was finishing my read the Bible through for 2014, I was in the book of Isaiah and the first chapter of Isaiah has something to say about the honor that is due to our parents. You know, honor your father and your mother and particularly the honor that is due to our heavenly father. So would you open that passage with me as we prepare our hearts Today It's good to sing as we have sung in both of our services this morning and last night as well. Uh, I heard Alistair Begg say this week, we sing because we have something to sing about. That's why we as believers lift our hearts in worship to God. And then we open God's word or um, God's word opens the truth about who we are. So in reverence for our God and our King, would you stand with me? And I'm going to read verses 16 to 19 of Isaiah 1. I hope you'll read the whole chapter this week. Um, but I want to be a good steward of our time together this morning as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. And he just starts out by um, calling out his children because they have forsaken him and they have sinned against him. And he, God calls their attention to that. And then he doesn't just leave them there. Um, he says in verse 16, Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. 
seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And then this verse 19, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. We come together this morning to eat the best from the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Isaiah preached for 40 years and um, over the course of four kings of Israel. And he didn't have an easy job, but the, the prophet's job was to hear what God said clearly and then to speak that boldly. That was the, the prophet's job. Somebody has said the church today is a nonprofit organization and we spell prophet P-R-O-P-H-E-T. We um, like prophets at a distance. We don't really want to hear what prophets have to say because prophets, it turns out, are not necessarily good dinner company because they will call attention to reality from God's point of view. And this is what the prophet Isaiah does at the very beginning. And he, he just um, shows us the gospel in a nutshell by saying that the problem is you, God's children, are worse off than you thought. You're not God's children because you just, um, he just, he just likes you better because you're just better than other people. No, you are God's children because of God's grace. And the, 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 the truth about us is we're worse off than we thought, but we're more loved than we could have imagined. And that's really what this passage teaches us. And he shows us this, um, this invitation to redemption. What he says is, look, you're over here and you're separate from me because of your sin, but I wanna bring you close. I wanna restore you and rescue you and redeem you and reclaim you. And I have the power to do that, but it's gonna start with your repentance. And what he does is draw a contrast between two very different kinds of, of worship, two very different kinds of ideas about God. The one is what I would call transactional religion. In other words, hey, God, I'll be religious and then you have to love me. That's one way of looking at God. And we see that, for instance, in the Pharisees in the New Testament who were very moral. They were, they were pious, but they looked down on other people. And Jesus told a parable about a, a Pharisee who looks at a tax collector up in front of him in worship and says, I'm so glad I'm not like him, God. Thank you that I'm not like him. And meanwhile, the tax collector is just saying, have mercy on me, God. And Jesus said the tax collector will be made righteous because for him, religion was not a transaction, but it was a transformational relationship. So transactional religion on the one hand, transformational relationship on the other. Let me just show you transactional religion. First of all, he calls upon the heavens and the earth and he actually is talking about the sin, not of the world, but of his people, which is really, really important. It's not hard to sort of uh, throw darts at the world and the sinfulness of people who don't know Christ. But Isaiah said, look, you're God's people. You're the people of Judah and Israel. And I'm just gonna ask the heavens and the earth to, whether they agree with me that my children have forsaken me. And he uses analogies and he says, you know, like the ox and the donkey, they know where they get their food and they don't bite their, uh, their master's hand. Um, this does not apply necessarily to our beagle, who is a good example of this kind of rebellion. She's 12 years old. We still put the food in her bowl. But if we try to put our hand near the food, she would bite our hands. I'm not making that up. She would. I mean, if I had her right now and I tried to put my hand, she would bite 
our hands. And it's like, okay, you're 12 years with us. For 12 years, haven't I given you food? Haven't I loved you? Haven't I cared for you? And you still want to bite me? I'm the one who gave you the food. I don't even want your food. But I can't believe you're defending your food from me. And this is what God is saying to the people of Israel. It's like, look, the ox knows, the donkey knows, but my people don't know that everything good in your life came from me. So why are you trying to fight against me? And, and he says, look, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to call you to task for your rebellion. And I've been reading the Bible through again this year, started anew. And in the book of Genesis, I'm just reminded of the goodness of God in creation. And then have you seen this? How quickly it goes south. So you, you got, you know, Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve doing exactly what God told them not to do. Just that moment of, am I going to do what God wants me to do? No, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And they do. And by the way, we have their genetics. So that's kind of a part of who we are. This disobedience, this rebellious heart against God. And then one of their sons kills their other son in chapter four. In chapter six, verse five, there's an interesting statement that kind of encapsulates what God's thinking before the flood. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race was, how it had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's how far south they had gone. And then you got them, you know, the, the flood and then, but the descendants of Noah build the Tower of Babel, which is in today's reading. And you're just like, wow, how can it go so far south uh, so quickly? And the reality of our sin is that it is, it is ever present with us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and so if we sort of look at the world around us and go, well, the world's just so sinful. I'm glad we're not like them, except, except we are. We're part of the brokenness of the world. And as long as we're trying to sort of categorize sinners over there, we're going to we're going to miss the point that we need God's grace as well. Um, it's Dallas Willard's word when he says um, we want to we want to be good, <laughs> but we're prepared to do evil. And that's just the way we're wired. And, uh, and and so what happens is this this rebellion continues. An old hymn says prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. And that's where God's people were. And th their answer was, well, we'll just keep making more sacrifices. Remember the Old Testament sacrificial system and, and we'll kill an animal and God forgives us and then we'll sin again and we'll kill an animal and God forgives us and then we'll sin again. Um, it's interesting to read Eugene Peterson's translation of this. He says, um, I I'm, I'm sick of religion, religion, religion while you continue to sin. In other words, it's not a transaction where you can do enough good. You know, you can't drink enough Diet Coke to, to sort of subtract the calories for the chocolate cake. You can't do enough good for God to make it okay to sin. But they thought that they could. And he says, you know, I don't want, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want any more sacrifices. And remember when Saul rebels against God and in 1 Samuel um, 15, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. Don't, don't disobey me and then say, but I'll give you part of what I stole from you, God. No, 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 no. To obey is better than sacrifice. You hear it in David in Psalm 51 when he says, yeah, the sacrifices God really wants are for us to be broken about our sin. And so we, we come to God not with, with endless sacrifices in our hands because God is not pleased with us trying to sort of make up for our sin. This is what I call transaction. Like my relationship with God's a transaction. I do something for him, then he has to do something for me. Romans chapter 11, God can't be in our debt. He, does, he never owes us anything because he gave us everything.
So when we start there, then we realize, so that, that's not it. So then he goes on, and I think in chapter 16, you see this invitation to redemption. And he says, come, <laughs> come now. See the urgency in that. Come now and let us reason together. Because God says, I have disciplined you, and I've disciplined you, but you have not received my discipline. And this is the thing. We memorized this last year, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 say, my son, uh, do, do not despise the Lord's discipline or resent his rebuke uh, for the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in Hebrews chapter 12 quotes that and then says, here's the difference between God's discipline and our discipline. We parents are sometimes capricious with our discipline. There were lots of stories about our dad and uh, my dad, let me just say he did not spare the rod. Um, he was, he, he had come from an abusive home and he was not abusive, but he disciplined us and uh, he did that. And you know, uh, one of my nephews was saying, you know, these days, uh, if we discipline kids, we go to jail, but if we don't discipline our kids, they go to jail. So it's just a, a kind of quandary kind Kind of thing and uh, and and in that reality we realize that God disciplines us he says for our good so that we can share in his holiness so that he can produce a harvest of righteousness in us God disciplines us and calls us back to relationship and what does God want what does God really want he wants us to repent he wants us the Hebrew word is to turn shuv to turn until we come around right so we come right, we turn. The New Testament word metanoeo is to change your mind. That, that's the word. Jesus came um, preaching repentance. And sometimes um, as he says, look, I'm not going to receive your prayers because you lift your hands in prayer, but they're covered with blood because you've been hurting people. But then you lift your hands in prayer and act like it's okay. And God says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hear those prayers. So sometimes God's first answer to my prayer, here's my, here's his first answer is repent. Okay. Let's just start there. So he says, stop. Stop doing that. John said this very well last weekend when he preached John Music. Stop. Set no unclean thing before your eyes. Purge, purge sin from your life. Get sin out of your life. You, you've got to do that. And, and so he says, wash, wash your hands. John Dunn said, said it well. Sleep with clean hands. Either kept clean by integrity. That's the best way. Or wash clean by Repentance. But live a life where you turn away, consciously turn away from sin. That's the way God wants us to live. But we can't finally, ultimately cleanse ourselves completely. That's why God says, look, we need to reason about this. And I love the fact that God is reasonable even when we're unreasonable. Let's reason about this, God says, because what I want is for you to do justice. I want you to live your faith. I want you to be transformed and changed. And I was just thinking about how God wants to change the way we look at the world so that we no longer sort of see ourselves as the holy people and look down on the unholy people, but we just see, hey, we're unholy, 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 Isaiah chapter six, we're broken and we need the grace of God. And when we realize that we're only saved by God's grace, then we never ever condemn the sins of other people. We never condemn sinners. We love sinners because we're also sinners. That's why you can't ultimately sort of se segment life and say, I'm just gonna stay away from sinners because you'd have to stay away from yourself. I'd have to stay away from myself. I can't do that. And so I have to have God's, I have to have God's grace. And this, this call to justice, to care for the orphan and the widow, just a, it's a powerful image um, I, I was watching a movie with the family over the, the holidays, the, the Good Lie. Have you seen that movie? That's, a, that's an amazing movie about the, the lost boys of Sudan. 
who come to the United States and how th there are people, some of them willing to help and others who are unwilling to help, but these young men find a place. It's a true story. It's an amazing story. And I was just thinking about how God always cares about the guest in our gates. And I wondered who the guest in your gate is. Who's the guest in our gate if you live in the city of Houston and how can we, and I love the way in the last year God just brought us this beautiful infusion of life from new brothers and sisters in Christ from around the world and how we get a chance to pray with and love with and learn from and do life with new members of this body of Christ. And my prayer is if, if that started in 2014, that God will do something even greater in 2015 so that we will, like God, love justice and care for people who need our care, especially for the orphan and the widow and the, the guest whom God brings into our gates. And he says, come now, let us reason together. So we come to repent. We come to reason with God. We come to receive his new life. So he says, come let us reason together because I will forgive you. Of your, maybe your sins have stained you, you know, sort of Lady Macbeth, out spot. I need to get rid of this stain of my, of my sin and and God says, yeah, I can take that away. I'm very willing to forgive you. We can be forgiven. We can be transformed by the grace of God. This is our hope in Christ. And I remembered a remarkable story that Lee Strobel told about a man named Billy Moore who um, was, was robbing a man's house. And the man, 77 years old, came out and lowered a shotgun on him and shot at him and missed. And instinctively, the young man, Billy Moore, turned and shot back and heard the man fall to the floor and turn on the light and he had killed the man and he felt badly but not badly enough not to do what he had come for. He stole $5,600. Police found him like the next day in his trailer with $5,600 and he was taken, uh, accused of murder, uh, about to be put on trial. Some local believers in Christ went to the jail as part of their ministry and talked to him and said, God wants you, God wants to adopt you. He said, God doesn't want me. There's nothing left of me. I'm going to die because I killed a man and I deserve to die. But if God wants me, they said he wants to adopt you as his son. He said, if God wants me, he can have me. And so he gave his life to Christ. And that was the beginning of a transformation. And uh, he was on death row for 16 years. And during that period of time, he made so much difference in the jail that the, the jailers, uh, the prison warden began to trust him, began to bring men who needed help to him for counsel. He led Bible studies. His life was completely changed from who he had become. And when it came time for him to go to death row for his final hearing, the family of the man he killed came and testified on his behalf and said, we, we want you to commute the death sentence so that he doesn't die. And in an unprecedented thing in Georgia, the state of Georgia, they commuted his death sentence. More than that, a year later, they gave him parole. More than that, he's a pastor in Georgia now. And that's the transformation of a life. But as long as we think that we're in this quid pro quo relationship with God where we do a little bit for him so he does a little bit for us, yeah, we're never gonna be transformed. But if we will repent, and receive his offer of grace. Listen to 1 John 1, 9, where God says, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this table is about receiving God's forgiveness. So if you've never trusted in Christ as your savior, I wanna ask you right now 
to turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Because Isaiah, he has a couple images of cleansing. One in chapter six, he says, there's this live coal from off the altar and it, and it burns uh, away the, the uh, uncleanness of his lips. And I don't even know what that means. Maybe he was a, a cussing preacher, I'm not sure. But God takes that away with this live coal from off the altar. But Isaiah 53 is even more powerful where it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Would you reason with a God who gives you an invitation to redemption? Let's pray together. Let's examine our hearts before the Lord before we receive the Lord's Supper. Father, you know our hearts. Nothing is hidden from you. We can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time. We just can't ever fool you. We even deceive ourselves sometimes, Lord. But today I pray that you would help us to come clean with you because we want to get washed. And what can wash away our sin? Should we just try harder, Lord? What if we make greater sacrifices? What if we give all of our money to feed the poor, Lord? Will that take away our sin? What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask today that you would wash us anew in the wine of your blood. Oh, what can be done for an old heart like mine? God, soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash us anew in the wine of your blood. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.